and welcome to another Scott Swahey podcast. And today I'm joined by scriptwriter and spoken word artist, Kat Hepburn. Hello, Kat. Hello, Alistair. How are you? I'm well. I'm very well, thanks. And uh, we've got together to talk about your new collection of poetry and some prose, which we'll discuss, um, Dating and Other Hobbies, uh, which is published by Burning Eye Books. So first of all, it's so good to have you on. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, your work. I've seen you read many, many times. There's plenty for us to talk about, but let's start with the book. How do you describe it to people? So I would describe Dating and Other Hobbies as a collection of poetry and short stories that summarises some of the dating and relationship experiences that um, would commonly be found in a, in a millennial female's life. Uh, it's, I'm interested in the structure of the book. That was one of the first things that kind of uh, jumped out at me. You've got this um, a mistakes of a 20-something millennial separately. That's your kind of introductory yeah. piece. And then yeah. you've, you've, you've kind of split it into four chapters, which we'll speak about in a minute. But why did you want that piece to stand alone, that poem? Well, I think it just opens up the book. It sets the tone. It lets you know what you're in for, Um and it's actually one of the pieces that I wrote kind of nearer to the the, the wire of it being published. Um, I wasn't sure if I was going to keep it in. So, yeah, it was one of those weird ones where I felt like it should be in, but I didn't feel like it fitted particularly into any of the chapters. Um, so I made it a kind of prologue without, without the title of prologue, but that's kind of what it is. It's to set the tone of the book, as it were. Yeah, it, it is the kind of perfect introduction to what kind of follows um, as I say, you split them into four chapters, digital, casual, wanting and missing. So can you explain why you decided to do that? Yeah, so it was really difficult to decide what order to put all the different pieces in. Um, because we're not following just one character and one kind of narrative journey, we're following lots of different characters. So trying to sort of figure out what those four things were going to be was a bit of trial and error. At one point they were called Greek gods, which has nothing to do with the subject matter. And I think it's just more a reflection of how much below deck I was watching at the time. Um, total trash TV programme that all the boats are named like, uh, you know, kind of Greek mythological names. So, so yeah, it was a bit of trial and error. And then just trying to figure out what am I trying to say in each poem and trying to put them into different camps. I got some some great advice from Nadine Aisha Jasset, who said to me, print them all out and put them in the order that you feel like they should go in. And I said, oh yeah, I've got the titles written on post-it notes. And she went, no, print them out, Kat. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, so I printed them out and I put them all on my floor. And then they just started attracting each other to different groups, oh. kind of like in a, in a nightclub. There was just different groups of poems that went into each other's kind of clique. And then I, from then, decided what they were going to be called. That's a really long-winded way of saying it just felt right. <laughs> but you had all the poems or the majority of the poems first, and then it was like seeing where they fitted into this these groups. Yeah, exactly. And as I said at the start, you've got, short stories here you've got prose I don't think I've read any prose of yours before is this the first time you've had it published 
Yes, it is the first time. So it's something a bit scary for me. I felt more kind of anxious about these stories than I have about any of the poems. Um, but I have been writing stories since I can remember, since I learned how to write. So they are kind of, it's sort of like going back to what I used to love doing, but it's also something new. Um, I just wanted to challenge myself and, and I love writing stories. I really, really love doing it. So I thought, why not put a couple in the book as well as poetry? I love poetry, but sometimes it can get a bit samey. So I did want to mix it up a bit and, and try and reflect these different experiences within these short stories. But they are a different beast to writing poetry. Um, it, was a, it was an interesting experience uh, writing these and, and feeling like they were ready. It's interesting for, I think, for people who don't write. Is it like a different muscle that you're having to exercise when you write longer stuff? You just don't get as far when it's prose. It's like, you know, you could spend 10 minutes and you've you've just described, like, what the character is experiencing when they've, like, stepped out their front door. You know, you could just get so bogged down with detail and, and adding in texture that you sort of tie yourself up in knots. Poetry is more boom, get it out there. It's on the page. You can read it, you can perform it. And it's just so like present and up for it. And the stories just take a bit more time and there's just more overthinking that goes into it. And I'm an overthinker anyway. So to add that into the mix, it was, yeah, it is a different muscle. I think you're totally right. Yeah. And did you ever think of doing a book of poetry and a book of short stories or was it always going to be bring them in together? I think I just wanted to write a book about this subject matter and the best way to tell these stories was a mixture of stories and poems. Um, I think in the future maybe I'll write another poetry book, maybe I'll write a book that's just stories, but it was more the theme that I felt was important to get across and the subject matter and what's the best way of telling those stories. Some things are meant to be a poem, some things are meant to be yeah. a kind of longer form, you know? I think it's interesting because I think if, if someone had shown me just the short stories and said which Scottish poet had written these, I was like, oh, I think that might be Cat Hepburn. They certainly fit oh, into the book, absolutely. Um, you talk though about how you know poetry's got more impact, uh, immediate impact on the page, but also when you, I mean, you're never gonna, I would imagine, read out a full story. You know that takes a lot longer than most people realise. But with yours in particular, there's there's a rhythm which I didn't know whether you would get on page. I've seen you mostly doing live performance, spoken word, and you've got this mm -hmm. very distinctive rhythm and how you deliver, but when you read it on page, it's maybe because of that, but you get that same rhythm. Is that something you're aware of? It's not something that I'm aware of when I'm writing, but it's something that I think we just lean into our own individual kind of way of, of saying things. And, and because I've got the spoken word background, I know that most things are written deliberately to be read aloud. So I think that is kind of in the back of my head, even if it's a subconscious thing, I, I'm aware that this is, this will be spoken aloud one day. Um, so yeah, I, I think I'll just always approach writing like that, um, writing you know that way from now on. But I also read aloud when I'm writing and I don't know if that's a common thing for people that are losing the plot or if it's a spoken <laughs> word artist thing. But yeah, I'm always just talking to myself as I'm going along, seeing how the words kind of feel in my mouth as I'm writing them at the same time and going over the different characters and different voices. And um, yeah, so 
it's just yeah working from home working from home and alone you're allowed to kind of try out these weird things yourself aren't you (laughs) do do you hear your voice when you're writing them down oh that's an interesting question i once heard that some people don't hear their own voice in their head Mm -hmm. um it's not everyone but i i do but yeah some people don't hear like a voice but i i do i think it's just even if i'm not writing it's always there <laughs> i'm beginning to sound unhinged now i'm not <laughs> um, normal, but yeah i think you just you just you feel out what it what it's gonna feel like in your head and then the words come out um which is the best most fun part of writing because then you get to like the boring stuff like rewriting and editing and all that but yeah the fun bit when you're just coming up with ideas and then you just type type away it's so much fun i love it and you're with the spoken word, uh, word um, background. Are you aware then that all of these poems are likely to be performed? Do you ever write? A thing? Yeah, well, that's purely for the because you know some poets just won't do that. That they're written poets and that's it. And I wonder if you think you no, know, all of these at some point will probably be performed. I think they all will. Maybe some of the short stories won't because they're maybe a bit too long to fit into like a slot that you would get at a spoken word gig, whether that be in real life or online. Uh, but yeah, most of them I have envisaged. I have envisaged like reading them aloud at a poetry night, um, which I think is just giving them another kind of lease of life. It's I don't write deliberately for the page. That's not how I approach things. Even yeah. with you know my script writing, it's for someone to see on a stage or a screen. So I'm always thinking about where the words are going to go after that point, you know. But, I mean, it it can also be enjoyed just reading it. Um, But, yeah, you have to kind of self-edit and make it suitable for a page because it's not the same as spoken word. It it absolutely is fantastic to read uh, and often um, very, very funny to read. You know, I was reading it on my computer and kind of laughing out loud at points. Um, it didn't occur to me, but because you do script writing, which of course is going to be spoken by someone, then there is that connection between your poetry and, and um, script. Yeah, and I've never thought about it like that before until this moment. But yeah, that is. I think it's. I think it's thinking about where it's going, um, and it's not just. I mean, writing is for writers obviously we love doing it but it is also about what happens when it goes into the hands of somebody else and and yeah you sort of have to relinquish control so going back to writing prose um, a lot of people think well the next step you do short stories and the next step maybe a novel is that something that is in the back of your mind yeah it is in the back of my mind it's not at the front it's definitely just sitting at the back uh, mulling things over going do I want to dedicate this much time Um, I think the next step is somewhere in between which would be a novella yeah Um, so that's what I'm thinking for my next step in terms of the next book Um, because you get to live with a character a little bit longer than a short story but it's not as big a commitment as a big you know book um the dream would be to get like an advance but i hear that's pretty difficult (laughs) in the writing world so (laughs) very interesting to see what occurs definitely Mm -hmm. so with uh, all your poetry i would say it's very brave to be as open and honest as you are um do you ever self-censor do you ever say well no cat you can't you can't put that down or not 
Uh, no, I don't think <laughs> I, I do. Your answer. <laughs> <laughs> Could you tell by by reading it? Um, <laughs> I I have a pals that I run certain things past. Um, I go, do you think this is too far? And sometimes some of the uh, pieces in the book, they did say, like, I mean, I think you are taking it a bit too far, but not necessarily in a bad way. So, but I've, I've, I always think it's better to be brave and and maybe take things a little bit too far and come across a certain way than to be safe and to not say the sentence, to not write the sentence that is going to you know, disgust or surprise or make someone laugh, even if it's one of those laughs that they're like, oh, this is, I shouldn't be laughing at this. Uh So I think it's better to just go for it. And, you know, this is just an example of the type of stuff that I'm capable of now and I'm happy with it now. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I'm not going to, I think, you know, going back to the overthinking thing, you could just, you could Mm -hmm. self-censor till you've got nothing left, couldn't you? So I try and be bold. I try, yeah. Um, but it made me think about, I've interviewed a couple of comedians over the years who said that when they're in company, sometimes they've, they're aware of people clamming up in case they end up in one of their sketches or on one of their jokes. <laughs> Do you have that situation that you feel like, oh, no, I'm going to end up one of Cat's poems? Yeah, well, I've had a few friends like drunkenly say, oh, God, you're going to write me one day. And I'm like, I've already written you. I've just changed your gender and age. You just don't know about it yet. But yeah, they're all there. All the people that you meet, they're all they're all just there. The particles of conversations and uh, and personalities and characters, they're, they all just kind of end up in your writing, even if you're like aware of it or not. And when you're writing about often very serious and uh, emotional subjects, do you think the humour that you have helps people uh, kind of accept it's the wrong word, but you think that the humour's a way in. And as I say, there were some times here I laughed out loud, particularly some of the short, sharp shocks, you know, the little ones that you have. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, the humour is very important, clearly, in what you do. Yeah, and I think... I just think it's my style. It's not like a deliberate, oh, I need to be funny here. Mm-hmm. It's nice to dress an important subject matter, a difficult subject matter, an embarrassing subject matter. It's nice to kind of wrap it in a cloak of humour. And that's how it kind of sneaks into the party. <laughs> so, yeah, I think humour is so important. Um, and it's just finding what humour works for you. And I think it's just years of years of performing and f- and seeing where the laughs come um, and seeing where the laughs don't come as well. But yeah, I think humour is just such a, a great tool that you can use to get your point across and to express something that would otherwise be a bit, a bit of a hard pill to swallow, you know? Well, it seems to have that thing of kind of bringing us all together because then in some way it makes it more relatable. We've all laughed at things that perhaps we shouldn't have. We've all shared jokes and things like that. And there is there is that aspect to it, I think. Yeah. Um, well, what the world of dating and, and kind of the politics of relationships even have changed quite a bit, even since Girlhood came out in, was that 2018? Yeah, 18, the end of 18, uh-huh. Uh, and uh, uh, dating and other hobbies reflects this. Was that something that you felt was important to do? Um, I didn't feel like it was, it wasn't like this is important to show this, but 
like time has passed. Um, there was a few, there's a few references in there that I know that the Gen Zers will, it will fly right above their heads. Like, you know, pe- being a Facebook couple, or, or, like uh, um, changing your, your relationship status on Facebook, that, that only translates to, you know, millennial and above. Um, so I'm aware that those things are there. And I, you know, I did try and, drag some of the poems into like the complete modern day by adding in references about TikTok and fleets which is a new mm-hmm. thing that got added on Twitter like last year so I did try change some poems to to be more contemporary but others I just thought oh it's about someone that's my age and that reference you know rings true but yeah the world has changed a wee bit since girlhood and I hope that my work will always reflect what's happening in the here and now as well as a bit of nostalgia thrown in there too. Yeah and I think that's it it's clearly it's your stories but it does seem to make wider points and whether you mean to or not you know you kind of it's that thing about sharing experiences and and, you know things that everyone has shared Mm -hmm. um so why did you start why did you get into poetry and spoken word what was your kind of beginning there um well I did a master's in tv fiction writing and that is where I met Kevin P Gilday who was already in the spoken word scene my friend had just been dumped um and we were going to go out and get steaming and I said to her my friend from uni is doing a spoken word night do you want to go to that instead we can we can get steaming while we're at the night um so she was up for that I hadn't I honestly didn't know what to expect um I think I probably expected it to be a really dry, boring night. Um, And it was the opposite of that. I saw loads of different performers. I saw that spoken word wasn't, wasn't dry. It wasn't boring. And I loved it so much that I asked Kev if um, he would have me on uh, to perform sometime. And he did. He got me to be his sacrificial poet for a slam that he ran at the Glad Cafe and I was shaking like a leaf. And I still get really nervous when I'm performing, but this was like something else. This was like like yeah, that. And yeah, I, yeah. I read a little poem about Tinder and that was me. I was hooked. I just loved the buzz of it. And I loved improving every time I did it. And I got to a point that I was getting really confident and just, just having so much fun with it. Because at the beginning, it was like almost nausea inducing Mm -hmm. how nervous I got and I thought I'm going to just fight through this horrible bit and get to the bit that's fun because I think I will be good at it eventually. (laughs) I think a lot of performers, um, a lot of people in general get that stage where they either go I'm either going to stop doing this or I want to do it so much I'm going to push on through and Mm -hmm. uh, do it. But did you have any poems there when you said to Kev can I uh, go on stage? Will you let me do that? Did you have anything to do or did you have to then go and write something? I, after that night that I saw Spoken Word for the first time, I just started writing. Oh, like wow. I was on a train the next day and I just, and I, and I started formulating like little, um, like rhyming couplets in my head and I just started writing immediately. But um, I think by the time he asked me, he knew that there there was he knew about the Tinder poem because I think I'd put it on YouTube <laughs> already, uh, pure eager beaver. And then so I think he he was aware that I'd done done that one poem. And then the second time I performed was the George Square Independence Rally with like three thousand oh. folk. <laughs> so it was like the baptism of fire. <laughs> I was mad. Yeah, that's really kind of getting over it, and then I get uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I, uh, to me, the spoken word scene has really kind of grown, uh, particularly, I think, in the west coast of Scotland, but perhaps all over Scotland, um, over the last decade or so. And Sonic Youth, which you do with Kevin, has been kind of at the centre of it. Um, uh, do you think that's right, that things are getting, obviously not the last year, but things are getting bigger and bigger? Yeah, I think things are getting bigger. It seems to be more mainstream. It sort of crawled out of the subculture. And, you know, if we're, we're seeing poetry on, like, bank adverts, it's like it's in the it's in the public consciousness. It's in the zeitgeist. So, yeah, I think it's spreading to more people. I think things like social media have helped, have helped with that kind of wave of popularity. And I just think that when you're a really young poet, I think you think it's all about you and you're riding this wave of like, you know, you were the first people to ever do something. And I definitely remember feeling that I was part of this, you know, thing. And as I've gotten a little bit older, I've realized that that is just like what young people think about everything. And that actually there was loads of people doing it before us and there's going to be loads of people doing it after us. And you're seeing people come up, you know, um, young voices, te teenagers, people in their early twenties coming onto the scene that are just like, you know, blown out of the water. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing to realize, oh, I'm not the center of this thing. I'm just a part of it, you know? I think that's one of the interesting things about Sonic Youth Nights is it's completely collaborative and inclusive. You know, you'll get people that have been going for years. You get someone who might be their first night. It's an open mic or something. And, and yeah. uh, was that important to kind of do to actually feel, you know, that you were looking back and looking forward as well? Yeah, I think it, it was important to us to have those different elements of the night where we have, you know, a headliner who, as you say, has been doing it for years, mixed with more of a kind of emerging voice. Uh, but I think that's just reflective of the Scottish spoken word scene where, you know, even like the people at the very top, as it were, are are mixing with emerging people. That's just the nature of it. It's like we're all we're all kind of mixing in these different spaces and or we were, now all the spaces are online, but yeah, it felt very kind of reflective of the scene and something that we were sure we wanted to do to have those that those mixture of voices because then otherwise it's like the same old headliners you're getting or, you know, you want to keep things fresh for your audience as well. And it's exciting for us to showcase new talent because it's like, yeah, they were on Sonic Youth first. <laughs> well, exactly. And you spoke about um, being online, events being online, and Sonic Youth have been doing events online throughout the whole of uh, lockdown uh, last year. Um, how has that yeah. gone? It's gone good, actually. It's been a kind of weird learning curve, but I mean, a lot of industries have had to go through strange learning curves. So I'm sure, you know, it's nothing, nothing new, us moving online, us going digital, but it felt like we just quickly responded to it within a few weeks. Yeah. Um, we just recorded our 27th show. So we've been wow. doing uh, two a month since the very first lockdown. Um, so it's been good because we've been able to connect to different audiences and we've been, you know, we were lucky to get Creative Scotland funding. So we've managed to put, keep putting on these shows and showcasing different artists which has been great it's just been a good consistent thing for kev and i as well to like to help produce and to co-host yeah. it's kind of helped us uh, stay grounded i think um it's been a kind of constant throughout all the world's been going up and down and different rules and but this has been the kind of constant so it's been good but 
it's a challenge as well you know it's like it's hard to recreate that like magical feeling of you know being in an actual venue I think we've done our best to get the next best thing but it is it's it's tricky sometimes you know well you were talking about your own stuff where you get that you know where the laughs are coming or you you know you learn where the laughs are coming all of those things is that very different online you might still get them but there might be a delay or whatever yeah you just have to have the confidence to know that's where the laugh would go (laughs) (laughs) i like that idea of a laugh track underneath it that's what you need yeah, that'll be that'll be the next stage probably just getting one of those canned laughter things. But yeah, it's a funny one because you're like you 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 sort of rely on that two way street of having audience there, and even like even in a silent audience, you can tell if it's a good silent audience if they're just paying attention, or if it's like an awkward silence. It's like you don't get that with online, so you just have to be really brave with it and just like hope that what you're trying to get across is what they're the people at home are seeing. But it's also good in a way because you can get a bit up you know when you get closer to a camera the audiences are are let into your bedroom are let into your you know your living room they can see the whites of your eyes and that there was a barrier before so it's like there's an intimacy that wasn't there before which I think you can lean into and hopefully helps with some material well you know you were saying that you'd used YouTube very early on when you were doing your poem tinder it's that kind of thing isn't yeah. it almost um, perform in a different way yeah and I love doing those spoken word videos um, still but yeah that, that that tinder one's been unlisted for a while it's not something that I am proud of anymore <laughs> they, find it if they're looking for it okay you know. <laughs> I, I noticed that you have supported some of the big names in poetry I'm George the Poet Saul Williams personal favourite of mine John Cooper Clark was that tours or was it just one off uh, Saul Williams and George the Poet was at the O2 Academy Um, so that was just one off nights on their separate Mm -hmm. tours and John Cooper Clark was a tour so Mm -hmm. I went on tour with a big man but um, I had like lots of different stuff on so I wasn't like trashing hotel rooms or anything with them I was they are doing the gig and then getting a Scott Rail home with a carryout. Uh, but it was still very exciting and good to just see the different energy in the room and in the different venues. We went to like four, I think we did four nights and brand new audience, brand new venue, big venues, you know, he packs out a, a, yeah. a venue like nobody else. So it was a really brilliant experience. It was scary, but it was good. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine for someone who says they still get a little bit anxious before going on stage, going on before John Cooper Clark, it's a bit like supporting the Beatles or something like that. It's it's huge. Yeah, and I think yeah, yeah. The first night I was super nervous. I sort of got I got I got more comfortable as the nights went on, but the first night I was a bit of a mess. Nerves are so annoying, and they just don't um, go away. You just have you just learn to deal with them. I get them as well. I mean, even doing things like this, you know, I still get you know a bit tense about it and everything. And you know, what can you do? They are annoying, but you just got to push on through. Aye, uh, we're just humans. Exactly, exactly. I want to talk a little bit about your TV work, your drama work. Um, <laughs> how did you come into that? Or was that something you said you did a course in TV drama? Was that something that you were always going to be working in? Yeah, so that was what I did my master's in. And pretty much uh, as soon as I did that TV master's, I was like, that's what I want to do. That's going to be my main focus. 
poetry sort of pulled me in and distracted me and and given me all these loads of little opportunities um, and sort of pulled me away from script writing but I'm still doing it when I can and um, and I really enjoyed my time working on different TV shows it was hard work and it was all consuming I'm not sure if an all-consuming job is the job for me. I quite like doing lots of different things. So that's why it was good doing, you know, um, just like a really short stint at Hollyoaks. I just worked on like, you know, 20 episodes. River City was six months. And you think after the six months, I'm sort of done giving my all to something every day. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's what it's like having a full-time job, but I'm an artiste. I need, I need time to like relax and recharge my batteries and like, uh, and 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 I love working with loads of different people. So, yeah, it, I think it can get a bit much. And hats off to people who can work in storylining for years at a time because I can just do it in short bursts. But script writing is one of my true loves, definitely. Uh, it's interesting. Why is that? Why is why does that really grab you as something to do? Um, I I don't know. I just love it. I think that the. You can write something that you're really proud of and you can perform it and you can get a, you know, a round of applause and feel dead chuffed and get that kind of post-performing uh, buzz. But nothing is comparable to like the feeling of you're sitting in an audience and someone else is performing your work or you're you know, flicking through the channels and a line of dialogue is said that you wrote I mean I'm I'm not flicking through the channels going oh something I wrote happens to be on ITV but you know what I mean that feeling it just feels different and I, I I like sort of shrinking into myself as an audience member and watching the words on the screen and it's that thing of like you know we were speaking about earlier of you sort of pass the baton and it's like the words are now in their own different sphere that has nothing very little to do with you but you still were the ones that you still were the one that wrote those words on the page for the first time so yeah it just gives me a different kind of a different high <laughs> so because your poetry and, and spoken word and your writing and prose or whatever it's you and the pen or the keyboard or whatever it might be but this is a collaboration you're actually handing over your work and someone might twist it or edit it or do things like that and I guess that would be a very different way of writing yeah very different and just you can't be precious there's no room for ego there's no room for yeah you just have to go right there you go um but I think they inform each other you know I try and be poetic in my script writing and I try and approach mm -hmm. my short stories especially with that kind of screenwriting like hat on so yeah everything just all connects doesn't it when it's when it's creative. Yeah, and with your short stories in particular, I would say you, you, you get characters, the, the reader gets the characters very, very quickly. And I think that probably comes from what you do with your poetry. Um, so let's go back to the book because it's out on the 29th of April, I think. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Pre-sales are open already if someone wants to get there first and get a signed copy but yeah the official the official launch date is april the 29th and is there a launch a party before that i think is there a launch evening? 
There is, yes, Alistair. Thank you. Um, I've almost forgot about that. Thank you for reminding me. It was April the 22nd, which is the Thursday before. I'm uh, doing a very special book launch online and I've got comedy millennial icon Amelia Baylor who's going to be hosting it um, and she's going to do some musical comedy. I'm going to do a reading and a Q&A, just super chilled celebration. Um, hopefully some of my girlfriends will be there and hopefully some people I don't know too. So yeah, I'm really excited about that. And how would people uh, find out how to watch you for that launch? So all the information on anything I do is always on my Instagram, which is at Kat Hepburn Wright. That's right with a W. But um, you can also request a ticket just by sending us a wee email. So that's dating and other hobbies at gmail.com. Brilliant. Well, Kat, it's been such a pleasure to chat to you. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. You as well. I've loved chatting to you. And yeah, I'm getting so excited about the book coming out. I'm like absolutely buzzing. So yeah, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. A pleasure. And we'll be back soon with someone completely different. Cheers. Cheers.